Hello, everybody, and welcome to No Middle Madness, a podcast about Texas Tech basketball. We are back after um, a big preview episode and then some quick recaps after Texas Tech closed out their easy non-conference slate to open the year. They went 6-0. and If you want to kind of get the rundown on how Tech did in those first six games, you can go check out our quick recaps. But today, we're going to be breaking down really the Red Raiders' first real test of the season and that's against Providence in Rhode Island Texas Tech will go on the road for the first time this season they've played a neutral site game once but other than that man they've been nice and cozy in Lubbock and things things are about to get really rough these next three games not to say that Texas Tech won't perform but it's going to be an adjustment I'm really excited to break down all three of these games but even this one man the Providence Friars as I was looking at the next three games, you know, you've got Providence, you've got Tennessee, you've got Gonzaga. It's easy to look at this game and just be like, ah, not exciting. Texas Tech will take care of business. But as I started digging into this team, they are an interesting bunch. But before we get into them, allow me to introduce my co-host, Emery Lida. Emery, how you doing? How you feeling about Texas Tech six games in? Man, it's been fun to watch so far. I mean, like you said, not the greatest competition. They've been cozy in Lubbock and even the South Padre Island trip. I mean, getting to go to the beach, I mean, that's more or less just as good as being at home. So haven't really seen a representative look at what the team will be, but certainly, I mean, I'm optimistic coming into this game. And I think going against a team like Providence, like a lot of people, I feel like are overlooking them. I mean, certainly maybe not quite as good as what Tennessee and Gonzaga are going to be. I mean, those two teams, you've heard all about them early on in the season. I mean, Providence has quietly put together a pretty solid start to the year. And I mean, looking at the tape and looking at the numbers, I think there's a lot to like about this team. And at a minimum, it's going to give Tech a good challenge to start off this improved non-conference slate with and kind of just see where they're at. Because even if they... Even if they win this game close, I think it can tell you a lot about some of the strengths and weaknesses of the team. And I mean, really, this is the first time this season where you can say that a team has enough talent to take on Tech and it be a relatively even match. I mean, Providence has some good players that we'll get into. But more than anything, I mean, I'm just excited to be able to cover some really fun games and see how Tech evolves over the course of the next month or so. Yeah, this is really the first kind of litmus test. Like you mentioned, Texas Tech has not played very stout competition early into the season. I think there's good reason for that. Um, I think that you're looking at a team that's adjusting to a lot of new pieces. Um, but, but I mean, man, you're, you're getting right into the thick of it here with this road game. And I mean, you look at Providence this season, they're six and one. They've got two big wins, a 63 to 58 win over Wisconsin and a 77 to 72 win over Northwestern. That Wisconsin game was on the road. It was a true road game. So that's, that's a big win to win in Wisconsin, and that win over Northwestern was in a neutral site tournament. Um, so two big wins over two like prominent basketball schools. Neither of them are necessarily elite, but they're both good schools. They're good competition. And then their one loss on the season came against Virginia, where they lost 40-58. to 58. That final score is a little bit misleading. Providence played them really close for most of the game, and then Virginia kind of opened it up late into the second half. Um, but they they showed a lot of fight in that game that was really interesting to me, but obviously that Virginia defense is it's just something different. Um, but I mean, you look at the the advanced numbers here. Uh, Providence is sixty sixth in Kempom, 
thanks to their 49th adjusted offense and their 103rd adjusted defense. So pretty steep drop-off there. And they are 52nd in T-rank thanks to their 26th ranked offense, which is pretty high. And then their 102nd ranked defense. So, I mean, you look at a team like Tech, I think Tech is top 30 in both um, offense and defense in T-rank and then like top 15 in, in each of Ken Palm. So, Texas Tech looks pretty even on paper, but then you got a team like Providence where the offense is much more favorable than the defense. And I'm curious, Emery, I've got some some pretty convincing thoughts on this, but I'm curious, as you kind of turn on the tape, you looked beyond the numbers, did what you see kind of match up with this? I mean, did their defense look kind of rough while their offense was performing at a high level? I actually think, if anything, neither of them are quite as far to the polar ends as what the numbers would suggest. I think the offense might not be quite near that top 20 mark. I think there's some certain rough patches. I'm not entirely convinced about their perimeter shooting shooting yet, just with kind of the lack of guards. I think some of that sounds just small sample size. And then defensively, I mean, I felt like they've been able to put together solid defensive stretches when they've needed to this season. I mean, obviously, the advanced numbers don't necessarily look that pretty, but I mean, you're talking about a team that against Wisconsin held them under 20%, and looking at the tape, it wasn't like a flute 20%. Like, obviously, Wisconsin missed some good looks, but on the perimeter, they were forcing relatively difficult shots. Like, it wasn't a game where Wisconsin was getting whatever they wanted, and the same thing goes from Northwestern. And like, I think both of those games are indicative of a defense for Providence that maybe is a bit better than the eye test goes. And on the flip side, I think the offense maybe might not be quite as good as what the numbers would suggest. I mean, certainly they're a team that plays with a lot, plays with a lot of unselfishness. I mean, they've got two guys on the inside that we're about to talk about that really can play an efficient brand of basketball, but kind of different, one more perimeter, perimeter oriented. But I think offensively, they've got the tools. I don't know if I'd say they're quite top 20. And defensively, I think they've certainly shown in stretches that they're much better than a sub-100 team as T-Rank has them. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I texted you whenever I first started looking into this team, and I was like, their their numbers are not that good. Like, this team is not that flashy on paper. I'm interested to see what happens on tape. And what I saw on tape was kind of what you're saying, and that the offense was a little bit worse than the numbers were suggesting and the defense might not be as bad. So offensively, I think they're good because they've just got a lot of dudes. Like you mentioned, a very unselfish team kind of anchored down low. Nate Watson, who we're going to talk about in a minute, is just an absurd basketball player. Um, and so they force you to respect the interior with him because he's such a good shot maker. But then they've got a lot of really good ball handlers, a lot of guys that can get their own shot on the outside. And so that really helps them kind of force the defense to stretch and then those ball handlers on the outside will either attack the basket because they can, or they'll shoot because most of them can. Um, they run a lot of pick and roll. They want to make you switch. That's kind of their bread and butter is getting you to switch in the pick and roll and taking advantage of those mismatches. But I'm with you. I think their numbers are a little bit inflated. And one thing that kind of makes me think that is that they do struggle um, turning the ball over. Right now they're averaging 11.6 turnovers point per game. Um, which is actually less than tech, which is interesting to me, but um, still it's like, that's like 290th in the country. So I think that that could be kind of a cause of concern with them. Maybe they play a little too unselfish and they um, spread the ball a lot and around when they don't really need to. But 
I also think they don't really crash the offensive glass that well. They're not a great rebounding team, which is kind of interesting given some of the talent that's on this team. But offensively, I think I don't think I see anything to make them top 20. They are a good offensive team, though. They've got a lot of individual pieces where it feels like it's just going to start clicking. And then defensively, they don't protect the perimeter very well. Um, specifically kind of with three-point shooting, opponents are shooting 35% this season from deep. Again, um, Texas Tech struggles are well-documented. They were at 41 before um, the Lamar game. Now they're down to 36 on opponent three-point percentage, which is a great turn of events for Tech. But the thing with Providence, at least what I noticed when I watched all the Wisconsin game, all the Northwestern game, and all the Virginia game, man, if you think that Texas Tech has communication issues, you need to go watch some of these games because it is incredible how much this Providence team has struggled just to really achieve basic matchups. I mean, their off-ball defense has been atrocious. They just continually lose guys. Assignments are all over the place. They'll call a zone, and, and nobody will pick up the guy on the back door. They're just, they feel like they're still figuring themselves out, and I do think that coming into this Texas Tech game, they're going to get a little bit more rest than they have at any point the rest of the season but I think those are the, the, the two things that I'm watching a lot they don't they don't communicate very well at all uh, they really can't defend the perimeter very well especially if you get a guy like Watson or Horchler out there and then they also will foul you a lot they're going to send you to the foul line a lot averaging just under 15 fouls per game so kind of interested to see how their offense regresses to the mean as the season goes on but I think Looking at this tech game, I think you've got to look at the communication issues and then and then for their offense, just see, you know, who who's gonna step up on, on their team, who's gonna protect the ball, who's not gonna turn it over. But I think kind of the thing that's really intriguing to me about this game, and I look at these two teams on paper, and I do I do feel like Texas Tech is the better team, but you're looking at Providence, and Providence has been they've been tested this year, and for the most part, they've they've lived up to the test. I mentioned two big wins over Wisconsin and Northwestern and a pretty close game against Virginia. So they've been tested and, and Texas tech just has not. Um, I mean, there's just no, there's no other way around it. The competition level for Texas tech has been very low. They've played very weak teams and, and they've won as they should. But I'm curious, Emory, if you think that, you know, Providence is coming into this game with three real tests underneath their belt and Texas tech has none. Do you think that's going to be a factor in this game, or do you think that's just kind of looking too much into things? I mean, I think there's a degree that, to which it's going to really kind of play a bit of an impact. I think certainly you're going to have the mental toughness of Tech quite, kind of questioned early on just because Providence has already been in these games where they've struggled, where they've had runs go against them, or they've had communication issues on defense and really had to kind of claw their way back into games. Against Virginia, I mean, they only put up 40 points, and watching that game, I mean, it was, it was a struggle, just really disjointed, I felt like. Um, but with that said, I think that's going to wear off pretty quickly. I mean, at the end of the day, these guys are all guys that have played high-level games in their college career. I mean, TJ Shannon's played played in the NCAA tournament, had huge games against top-level teams. I mean, Kevin O'Banner, big games in the NCAA tournament. Bryson Williams has been the guy for or for Utah. Like, you go down the list, like Davion Warren's been a leading scorer. Like, all of these guys have played in big moments and gone through adversity. I think kind of going together and as a team, failing is something that maybe you'll see the impacts of not playing top-level opponents early on. But I think 
like from a mental standpoint, I feel like it might be a little bit overstated just because at the end of the day, like these guys all have played at a high level. It's not like you're having a team full of freshmen that have never experienced this before. I think I'd be more concerned if this was like a 2019, 2020 tech team that had a lot of young guys kind of playing their first huge minutes. For instance, when they went to play in Las Vegas against Iowa and Creighton, like that would be a tournament where I'd be genuinely maybe concerned. But these guys have all played at a high level. And I think like there's also things that Tech has learned in the first few games that are going to help them. It's not like it's been totally useless. I mean, you've had lineups where the communication's been much better. I look at how the defense looked against Lamar and Omaha compared to the first four games. And just in general, since TJ and Clarence came back, and I say that that that's something where you can see progress. And I don't think that that's completely null just because you're facing a better team. So I think it will impact them for sure. I could see an early run by Providence, but I think by the end of the game, there's not going to be much of a difference in terms of the approach between the two teams. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking the same thing as you. I think that there's going to be kind of an early adjustment for sure. I think we'll see Providence kind of get out to a hot start in this one. Um, but I mean, I think really what, what the issue is here is not, not the level of, um, say, like, difference in competition, but I think it's just going to be the difference of playing on the road. Like, you've never played in an environment like this together, so how well are you able to communicate? Are you still able to run your offensive sets well? Is your team still working well together? Are they communicating on offense? Um, but like you mentioned, at the end of the day, talent wins games. There's a lot of talent on this Tech team, and a lot of these guys have been in big moments, been forced to make big shots and make big plays. So I think that's definitely an area that is going to benefit them. But yeah, I definitely think there will be an adjustment. And I think that that's going to kind of play into Providence's favor. But at the end of the day, you, you just got to win. And, and that's what you got to do. But a big part of, of if Texas Tech wants to win this game is going to be finding some way. And I don't know how they're going to find it, but finding some way to slow down Nate Watson. So Nate Watson is a six foot 10, 260 pound big man. When you see him on Wednesday, if it is the first time that you've watched him on tape, you are going to think an NBA player snuck into the arena and put on a Providence Jersey. He is a massive dude. He is just, he's got an NBA body. He is built. He is big and he can score. He is averaging 17.7 points per game. 5.9 rebounds, which is a little bit interesting, and then 1.4 blocks per game. And, man, the size is is just, it's enormous. He he is just eye-catching whenever you turn on the film because he is so big. But the thing about Watson is that he is such a proficient scorer. I mean, everything he puts up goes in. He is taking just under 12 shots per game right now, and he's making 67% of them. That, I mean, that's insane. That's insane efficiency. And the thing about him is that the dude is not just sitting underneath the basket and taking layups over guys that are just purely undersized. This guy's got a really good hook shot. He can play in the mid to high post. He's got a decent mid-range shot. He hasn't made a three or shot one this year. I don't think that's in his game, but he can he can get away from the block. And, man, he's just got such such good touch. I mean... Those first few games of the Bryson Williams experience, I was thinking, man, how how did that shot go in? Like there were moments where I was just watching Bryson Williams play basketball and I was just amazed at the shots that he was putting up and that, and that they were going in. But as I've watched Nate Watson tape over the past few days, I feel like I'm doing that 
every single possession. Yeah, I mean, for me, watching Nate Watson, I mean, I'm going to throw a little bit of a UNC plug in here, but Armando Bacot, to me, is a lesser developed version of Nate Watson. I think that speaks a lot to Watson's game, just how efficient he is finishing around the rim. I mean, you can run the offense through him. He has beautiful post game and being able to hit hit hook shots and stuff like that. His touch around the rim is magnificent. He's got a really patient feel. That's one of the things that stood out to me watching tape both this season and years past is just how how he kind of lets the offense come to him. He's not someone that's going to rush up a shot. Like, for instance, and this is something that someone like Marcus Santos Silva has maybe struggled with a little bit to a degree, is just kind of the patience operating in the post and then on rolls. And that's something that Watson really has never struggled with. And I think he's, at this point, the most experienced player on this Providence team. He's got tons of big minutes playing Fred and Cooley. I mean, he's someone that came in as a freshman and played right away, and he's had these big moments. I think throughout his career, outside of one one year, I believe his junior year in 2020, had some injury issues. But aside from that, he's been someone that's been able to finish at the rim efficiently, shot over 60% true shooting percentage in four of his five years now. And I think just in general, like he's been, brilliant asset to have on your team I mean it's gonna be difficult for Tech to stop him because he's not someone where you can really scheme him out of the game per se like there's some bigs that Tech has played against in years past where they've had distinguished weaknesses with being impatient or not having good court vision not having good awareness and you've been able to really put small guys on them and get away with it and I don't think you're gonna be able to do that with Watson because he's gonna he's gonna find ways to be patient and find his matchups and get shots up. And I feel like someone that's not that efficient and that smart as a player, it's hard to scheme against. And I think Tech's going to have to throw a couple of different bodies at him to try and find the right solution. It is, it is truly pretty stunning to watch him play offensive basketball. I mean, just the way that he is able to make, I mean, it feels like he makes every single shot he takes. It is just wild. Um, and I think if you're tech, you've really got to be thinking about what you want to do here. Um, because this is really the first time that you've played a player like this. Um, it definitely is. I think that this is a player at, at a higher caliber than you've seen all year. I think this is a player who's a better scorer than you've seen all year. And he's going to be one of the biggest, toughest, most physical players you see all year, or at least until you go against like a David McCormick. So this is a very interesting matchup for texas tech because i think you'll learn a lot about your interior defense in this game i mean we've seen it throughout these first six games for sure an overarching takeaway that we can make even from the weakest of competition is that this this team is going to have really good on ball perimeter defense the wings that they have and the guards that they have are going to match up with anybody and everybody in the country but i feel like we just we just haven't seen a ton from the bigs or it hasn't been as striking as it has been from the perimeter players. And I mean, we're, we're about to figure it out. We're about to figure out how good this interior defense is because Watson is going to test them. And I think really what you're going to have to do in this game is a lot of doubles. I think you're probably going to have to slide over a bigger wing. um, Whenever he gets the ball down low, I think you're going to have to help a lot. You're going to have to really emphasize that no middle defense, really try and force him um, to the baseline and then do not let him get deep. You've, you've got to do whatever you can to try and get him to touch the ball, free throw line, or, or a little bit lower. Um, but if he gets the ball on the block, you, you're in trouble. Um, and so I think that we could see an interesting scenario where like 
Kevin McCuller is kind of face guarding him. Um, I think that we could see O'Banner and um, Shannon kind of coming over and helping. And I even think we might see some Daniel Bacho in this game. I think that that could be an interesting matchup and one that actually might work pretty well. So um, it's a really interesting test. And, and Watson is going to be a very difficult player to contain. And I, I'll tell you what, there there's not going to be one solution for Mark Adams. We are going to see him try a lot. And I'm really interested to see what ends up working. Yeah, I think it's going to be probably one of the more unique challenges this year because I think what Watson has going for him is he's got a lot of the pure strength and ability that David McCormick has, and he combines that with some of the patience and just, I guess, awareness and pure offensive touch that someone like Drew Timmy's going to have. So you you have to kind of look at matching him physically, which is going to be either bringing in two guys or maybe stretching Abacho and trying to match up that way. Or you're going to have to, and you're also going to counter that with trying to get him out of his comfort zone schematically, which is not going to be easy to do because he's someone that's faced doubles before. I mean, he's faced off against coaches like Jay Wright. He's played Villanova. He's played Seton Hall back when they had a plethora of wings. So he, this whole strategy of bringing doubles to him and kind of rotating guys off the perimeter is not going to be something that's new to him. Like it might be some of the, to some of the other bigs that Tech faces. So, like, I mean, I'm really intrigued to see how tech, tech kind of matches up and how they decide to go after it. Because I certainly think if it were me, I would be putting a lot of pressure on him by rotating in doubles, forcing him to make passes, and also trusting that Providence's perimeter guys aren't going to be able to really take advantage of their one-on-one matchups with your guys on the perimeter. And also trusting your rotations defensively, which sounds a little bit risky given how tech started the year. But also against a team like Providence that has had their struggles with turning the ball over and shooting the ball is something that maybe that's a risk you're willing to take. So we'll see how it goes. I think in general, this is going to tell us a lot about how Mark Adams is going to go go after these sorts of matchups because it's not going to be the last time where Tech faces a big that in theory should outmatch them. I mean, they're going to have to face Chet Holgrim and Drew Timmy in two weeks' time, and they're going to have to face David McCormick in conference play, among other bigs. So it's not going to be a unique challenge per se, but certainly one that's going to be arguably one of the most difficult. I mean, I said Namish Keda back in the NCAA tournament game was a really unique challenge. I think Watson's in a similar mold just in terms of his patience, offensive awareness, and ability to pretty much hit whatever he puts up on the inside. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a point about him not really being phased by doubles at this point, because I think this is his fifth year playing. I think he's played four years before this, so... He's played a lot of college basketball, but against Virginia, they they really were able to slow him down. It was the only game that he's scored in single digits this year. He was 4 of 11 from the field. He just looked kind of lost at times. Um, and I think a big part of that is not only um, the game plan against Watson specifically, but also Virginia's dominance on the perimeter. So I think that's going to be a big thing to watch in this game from Tech is just making sure that they can slow down, not get the ball to him, easily inside um but a true test and i think it comes at a really good time like you mentioned you're you're gonna get a real real difficult test in a few weeks with chet and with drew timmy so this is a really good kind of way to check your pulse this is a really good basketball player and i'm i'm really interested to see what mark adams does but unfortunately the front court does not get any weaker when you go a spot down to the four because a six foot eight 
guy is leading the team in three pointers right now, and his name is Noah Horchler. He is six foot eight. He is 220. He has a bun. He kind of looks like Dirk when he's running around the floor. Um, but I mean, his game has just been crazy. He's been such a valuable asset to this offense. And we're going to talk about why in a second, and it's going to make a lot of sense. But um, you look at just pure, not not T-rank numbers, not Ken Palm numbers, but just pure points per 100 possessions. Providence is averaging 111.9 points per 100 possessions. But when Horchler is on the floor, that jumps up to 138.6 points per 100 possessions, which is insane. Um, I mean, he just, it, it's the shooting. Like I mentioned, he leads the team in threes. He is 12 of 25 from deep this year, which is absurd. Um, that's like, what, four threes a game, and he's making 50% of them. Um, I mean, that that's a guy you'll take on any team in, in America. He's just really, really good in the catch and shoot. Kind of the lower base of his form is a little unconventional. It's kind of kind of crazy that he's shooting the ball so well, but he is man, and he's a really really good offensive player. And so I think looking at his game holistically, he complements Watson really well. But I'm interested to see Emery what what kind of you saw on the tape from from Horchler. I personally think he needs to shoot more. I think you have games against Wisconsin where he didn't put up a three-point shot and look kind of invisible in the offense. And I mean, the one thing that I've noticed from him is he's kind of developed his ball handling over the course of his career. I mean, starting out at North Florida, didn't watch anything there, but certainly watching a little bit this season, comparing it to the numbers that I've seen, it looks like he's more comfortable playing in a complementary role, doing a little bit of secondary ball handling. But his biggest asset is the shooting. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's every bit of a 40% shooter. And yet you have games on tape where he's pretty invisible. Like even the games where he puts up three or four three-point shots, like the degree of difficulty on them, it doesn't seem like he's really being as aggressive as I would be if I was easily the best shooter on the team. I mean, from what I've seen in the games that I watched against both Virginia and Wisconsin, it looked like all four of the shots that he took from three were relatively straightforward shots like he wasn't asked to create off the dribble he didn't really have any bad shots per se so he's very selective which kind of tells you that he's high IQ but he's also someone that I wouldn't say has been aggressive I think it's something where like against tech you're going to need him to be putting up seven eight threes given how they're likely to play Watson just because I don't think that the rest of the roster is particularly good shooting I think when you have someone like Horsford that's shooting over 40% and proven, proved that last year that he could play that stretch four role and play alongside Watson and do it effectively. I'm just surprised that he's not been shooting more. I think it's nothing against him as a player. Like he's certainly an outstanding shooter. He's been effective for the offense in spite of maybe not being aggressive enough. But I mean, I don't know. That was the thing that stood out to me was just kind of how invisible he could be at times. And I think that's something where Providence wants to do good the rest of the season, even just extending beyond the tech game. I think having Horshaw being more aggressive, something that could really help them out. Yeah, I mean, we we are on the exact same like wavelength right now because I think you look at Horchler and he's taken one more three than he's taken two point field goals this season, and it just feels like that margin should be a lot higher. Um, I remember when we were kind of evaluating Davion Warren and we were looking at his tape and we were like man, this dude is not a 30% shooter. Like, he's going to shoot so much higher. He's just taking some horrible shots right now. 
And it's because at Hampton, he just he just had the green light at all times because he was scoring better than pretty much anybody at that level. But you've got a guy like Horchler, and it's like, yeah, he's a good shooter. Like, we, we've seen that time and time again. But it also makes sense that he's a 50% shooter because the guy is very disciplined and very strict with what shots he puts up. But I'm with you in the sense that he needs to – he needs to let it fly a little bit more often. Um, I think you mentioned Tech's game plan perfectly. I think we're going to see a lot of the second big hedging over to guard Watson. And if the ball gets to him, he needs to shoot the ball. It feels crazy right now that we're essentially giving Providence their game plan to beat Texas Tech. But, I mean, that's really it. And, and Horcher has got to shoot if he gets the ball on the outside. I mean, that that's just plain and simple, um, especially given the, the communication issues that Tech has had on the perimeter. But I think... That, that's kind of the challenge with this team is that Watson draws so much attention. Then you've got Horchler who's on the perimeter and can make shots. And then you've got like a really good shot maker in Al Durham, who we're going to talk about in a minute, Jared Bynum, who can move the ball really well. And then you just got kind of like these, these tools guys that can just make shots. And so communication, man, I think that's going to be a really, really big issue in this game for Texas tech. Um, because this Providence offense, it's not just dynamic, but they move the ball a lot, too. They're, they're very active off the ball. You'll see their wings kind of cutting into the corners pretty much every single offensive set. Like I mentioned earlier, the pick and rolls, they do a lot of that. Um, and so Texas Tech has to be ready to communicate and to communicate clearly, um, which is not something that we've seen clearly from them early into the season, and they're going to have to do it in a road environment. So... Man, talk talk about a test, but I think that, that that's kind of where Horchler has his greatest strengths, but he's just got to take advantage of more shots. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, and I mean, I think that it's something that maybe we see evolve over the course of the season, but certainly if he had the green like, like Carter Hendrickson had down at North Florida and was putting up five, six threes a game and was taking shots off the dribble, more difficult shots, I would think that you could see it be even more deadly for Watson because, I mean, he's not necessarily someone that's like overly comfortable as a ball handler or as an off dribble shooter, but certainly just having that potential in your game, like him taking these disciplined shots, it helps out as percentage, but sometimes I feel like it makes the game plan easier because if you go out with an aggressive rotation, if you force them to pass the ball, it's a win. Like, the rest of their team will get into this in a second. Like they have some guys that are going to be dangerous per se. I and mean, you mentioned Al Durham, and I certainly think he's someone that could be a challenge for you to defend. I mean, certainly looking at some of his stats from Indiana and watching the first couple of games, even though he's kind of been going through a shooting slump, like you've got a couple of guys there that are going to be challenges. But certainly, once you get past Watson and Horsler, you've really got to focus on those two guys and making sure that. They're not the ones that are going to beat you. And if Horschel's not taking a lot of shots, he's kind of doing that on his own and sort of limiting him. So we'll see how it goes. I think from Tech's standpoint, making sure that you defend him with length when you have a chance to defend him primarily, putting on putting one of his wings on him. I don't think running around with Bryson Williams or Kevin O'Banner trying to defend him, even though he's a big, technically speaking, is the smartest thing to do just because he's someone that knows how to get to the street his faces. He's a good off-ball mover as well as being a capable off-ball handler. And I think that if you run with the big trying to guard him, it's going to be a bit of an issue. 
Yeah, I definitely don't think we'll see any of that Marcus Santos Silva, KJ Allen lineup that Mark Adams has been playing a lot during the first six games because I think that would just absolutely burn tech. You've got a guy, you've got to have a guy on Horchler that can move. And then with Watson, you've got to have a guy who's disciplined, who's not going to jump on every shot fake because Watson's really good about that. Um, and then a guy who's just going to move their feet well. So the front court is obviously the point of emphasis with this Providence team. Got to be able to contain them if you want to have any shot at winning. But we mentioned two other guys that really caught my attention whenever I was watching film. And and one of them was Jared Bynum. Um, I mean, you look at the numbers. They're not gonna, he's not going to be a guy that makes your jaw fall onto your desk. He's averaging six points per game, uh, just under three rebounds, which is crazy because he's five foot ten, and he's averaging three point seven assists per game and a steal. So again, not an All American, not an All Conference guy, but he is clearly such a huge asset to this offense. He is a very good point guard. He is a very good ball handler. He makes not great decisions all the time, but just in terms of what he's able to do on the dribble is really rare. Like he's, he's a really good player. Like watching him play, this is going to piss off like the 20% of tech fans that are Spurs fans, but he just kind of reminds me of Tony Parker. Like he just gets under the basket every, like every single possession he's getting under the basket and he's dumping it off or he's going up and he's getting to the free throw line. And I'm not saying he's as good as Tony Parker. I'm just saying like he's undersized. He sneaks through the defense Here's a better comparison. He kind of reminds me of like Darren Sproles. Like the dude just like sneaks in there. He's got some power. He's got some passing. Emery hates my comparisons today, but that's all right. But I'm I'm really intrigued by Jared Bynum. Okay. Aside from all the horrible comparisons, I really do think he's one of the better players on this Providence team. I mean, when I was watching tape, it was just so clear that the offense was better with him on the floor. Um, I'm a sucker for a true point guard, and I feel like I feel like this guy is it. Um, but I think that kind of comes with a plus if you're Texas Tech and that I think you can press this guy and really limit what's able to get going on down low. So thinking about a guy like Watson, if you're able to press Bynum and you know maybe play a Kevin McCuller or a Terrence Shannon, um, very intentionally not saying Davion Warren's name because I'm going to say it in a minute here, but use one of those guys to match up with, with Bynum. I feel like that can really, really help uh, Watson not get as easy a touches. Because, I mean, that's really what I saw in those first three big games that Providence played was that he was just able to get the ball down low. And so I think if you can eliminate that, which is what I think happened in that Virginia game a little bit too and why Watson struggled there. But I really think that's the key. Don't let these guys score down low, but that's an impossible task. So when you fail to do that, don't let them get the ball easily. And I think that kind of starts with putting pressure on Bynum and forcing him to make a difficult pass. All right. So having Darren Sproles as a comparison was not something I had on my bingo card for tonight's podcast. The Tony Parker one made some sense because I think he is someone that's very creative and always seems to find a way to get to the lane and with that, he's able to make good passes out of that. I've noticed his ability to get dump passes to Watson, and especially off of the drive, is very impressive. Um, I've already made this comparison once this year. I'll go and say he has a little bit of Tyler Eulis in this game. Um, I think not the score that Eulis is. Eulis kind of understood how to create more space for himself and was probably a better pure shot maker at his size, but certainly he has that kind of 
manipulative sense to be able to get into, into the lane despite not really having incredible burst or obviously the size. Um, but also, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a Charlie Moore. If you remember back when he played for DePaul and Kansas and before that, Cal, just in his ability to really be a creative distributor. And he works really well with bigs. He's always seemingly in sync with Watson and being able to make kind of the right pass. And I think like that's the biggest thing. You mentioned the offense looks a lot better. I absolutely agree with that. I think it comes really by him not necessarily having any one outstanding trait, but just his understanding of how to get passes in. Again, he's someone that I think if you bring a lot of on-ball pressure, you can shake him. You can force him into making mistakes. And certainly when you make when you force him to taking his own shots, he can be extremely inefficient just because he's not really a good shooter and he doesn't really have the ability to create for himself inside. But his biggest weapon is his ability to understand the offense and be able to move the ball around. I think similar to how Charlie Moore at DePaul was kind of able to attack Tech's defense, and even if it was inefficient at times on that night, it kind of wore the defense out. I think a similar thing is going to be in play here, and Tech's got to have going to have to make sure that you can really limit what Bynum's able to do just from a creativity standpoint, put a lot of pressure on him and force him to make rush decisions. Because if you sit back and let him get to the lane and kind of craft his own offensive game, he's going to make it a lot easier for Watson or even the guys on the perimeter. Yeah, and I, I think that's key. And I think that that's where Texas Tech really has an advantage here because the perimeter defense is so good. And you look at Bynum's numbers, and, and they really are very impressive. Like, the he's averaging, what, three, 3.7 assists per game, which is good. But you look at his assist rate, and he's his assist rate is 36%, which is just crazy. I mean, you look at Tech's numbers, the guy that's leading the team is Miley Wilson, and his assist rate is at 26%. So, I mean, this is just a guy who knows how to move the ball. This He's a college point guard. Like, that's really what he is. He leads the offense really well. He runs it really well. He's not a guy that's going to be forcing up bad shots all the time. Um, he just he just makes the he makes the ball move. And, and Tyler Ulysses is a good comparison, as is Darren Sproles. But I think that this, this is really where it starts is is with Bynum. And if you can put pressure on him, I think that's going to be a huge key for Texas Tech. And I think this is maybe where you might want to try some full court press. We saw a little bit of it in the last game. We've I feel like we've been seeing it a little bit more. Um, I think that's super dicey because it could get you in a bad spot with Watson down low and getting a bad matchup. But if you're able to force turnovers, I think it could be something interesting to see. But the last guy that I really want to dive deep in is a guy that really stood out to me when I was watching tape, felt like his name kept coming up, and that's Al Durham. He is a six foot four. He's kind of like a combo guard. He really feels like he should be playing point guard, but Jared Bynum has just played so well in that role. He is averaging 13.4 points per game, 2.3 boards, and 3.6 assists. Um, you mentioned his shooting slump earlier. His production has slowed down this year at Providence since he transferred from Indiana. He's been struggling to shoot the ball just under 26% from deep, which is unconventional for him, but he is incredibly aggressive. Um, you watch the tape, and he is constantly forcing shots up that's not always a great thing but it is always something that um, usually ends in points for his team or ends with him at the free throw line he is averaging 6.6 free throws per game which is insane 
um, to be getting six free shots every game is wild. And it is a bonus for him because he's making 80, 83% of them. Um, I mean, Watson is a really good player, but I, I really feel like Durham might be the best player on this team. Like, I feel like at the end of the year, I feel like Durham, I would not be super surprised if Durham was leading this team in points per game. Um, Watson is really good, but I'm, I'm just interested to see how he can score. Um, like teams, maybe teams will figure something out with him down low, but with Durham, like just a really good three level score. He gets to the free throw line a lot, but Again, this is what makes this offense so dynamic. This is why they're rated so high is because you've got those bigs. Then you've got a guy like Bynum who moves the ball around really well. And then you've got a guy like Durham who can catch and shoot. Um, even even this year in a struggle, he can make pull-up jumpers. And then he's getting to the free throw line because he can dribble the ball really well and, and not turn the ball over, um, just trying to get to the basket. So um, this is kind of where your rotation will get tested. And I mentioned that I was saving Davion Warren's name, and that's because I think that this is a great matchup for him. Um, Durham is really long. He's listed at six foot four. I really think he might be closer to like six five, six six. He is lengthy, got a long wingspan. He's a tall dude. He's a big dude. Um, I think Warren matches up well with him. In fact, like Warren even kind of reminds me of him on on offense a little bit, kind of what they're able to do. I think Warren's a better playmaker than Durham, but both guys that you can just tell were, were born to score. Um, but defensively, I think Warren's hands will become very, very key here. I think that he can force Durham into some tough spots. Um, but I really think that this is the guy that cannot get lost in the shuffle. Like there are a lot of guys on this team that I've seen promising things from, uh, A.J. Reeves was a guy that kind of interested me against St. Peter's. Um, Justin Manaya, Manaya, he's like this big-bodied wing. He plays really good defense, um, but he doesn't shoot the ball that well. Those are guys that you can let beat you. But it, if you kind of lag off of Al Durham, uh, you're going to pay for it. So I think as attention goes to Watson and to Horchler, you, you've got to think about Al Durham. Yeah, I'll start with Durham. I think looking at his Indiana tenure there, I think he really established himself as probably the second or third best player on that team. And again, it was in similar fashion to what he was at Providence. He's never really been asked to be a primary ball handler and like the lead initiator of an offense at any point in his college career, despite him having the scoring capability certainly to do so and the ability to create his own shot effectively. I mean, I think, like you mentioned, he's someone that can score at all three levels, gets to the foul line. His his offensive presence and persistence is something that's going to be difficult for Tech to guard against just because if you're going to be putting so much pressure on the inside and stopping Watson, it's going to give opportunities for Durham, especially when he's operating in the catch-and-shoot game. I mean, again, he's someone that has experience playing with a big that kind of dominates – Dominates opponent's attention with Trace Jackson Davis to Indiana, and you saw he was very effective as a shooter then. So, I mean, I think Durham's scoring ability is impressive, and I like the matchup with Davion Moore, and I would also say maybe Malik Wilson could be someone to watch there. Um, I think you're going to have to really kind of think about who you match up with Durham because he's someone that can really punish the defense if you're – putting on guys that aren't able to keep up with him one-on-one because he's someone that can win those one-on-one plays. He's, he's a lot like uh, Mac McClung in that sort of sense. And I don't want to compare his overall game to Mac 
Con because reasons. But I think in terms of guys that maybe not the best offensive initiators, but certainly can win one-on-one matchups and you want to have good on-ball defenders on them, Durham's the guy that you're going to be keying in on on this team. And I think I mentioned Malik Wilson, David Warren, both of those guys could be good. I think as well as that, like, you want to make sure that the guy that you're defending with by or that you're defending Bynum with could also be someone that you look at for Durham because I think you're going to have some interchangeable parts there. You're going to need at times to be running Davion Warren mixing it up on them because I definitely think if things go wrong and they start having turnovers, they're going to be maybe looking at running different lineups because Bynum's someone that has only played about 50% of the minutes this year for Providence. And at times, Cooley's not hesitated to pull him from games and give the give other people the chance to run the offense or just simply run post-oriented offense around Watson. So you need to kind of have that in mind and sort of be ready for them to pull different lineup tricks out of the way. And the other guys that you mentioned, I mean, Reeves is a very capable wing defender, and I think Manaya is as well. I mean, he's someone that transferred from South Carolina. And actual fun fact, in the South Carolina Tech game that happened in 2018, he's the only player from both teams that is still around and still playing against Tech. So a little bit of trivia for you there. And he actually scored 11 points in that game. And arguably one of his, arguably his best season in college was his freshman year. So, I mean, he's certainly someone that's a capable player. And I think defensively is where you're really going to see his value against a guy like TJ Shannon. That's going to be probably the guy that they put on him. And I mean, if he can give you good minutes defensively for Providence, that's something that Tech's going to have to look out for. But in general, I mean, offensively, the four guys that we mentioned, Sabinum, Durham, Horsler, and obviously Nate Watson, those are the guys that are going to be intriguing to watch for their scoring ability and kind of the difficulties that places on the defense. But, I mean, Reeves and Manai are both capable defense defenders, and I think off- offensively as well, they've had moments in the past. I mean, definitely both of them aren't necessarily good shooters per se, but they're worth watching. And I think if you have those guys being put in a position to beat you, you'll take that over having Nate Watson dropping 30 or Horshaw dropping six threes or something of that nature. So it'll be interesting to watch. I think there's one last point on Durham. The biggest key for Tech is to make sure that you don't you don't lose him in the shuffle of defending Watson and Horshaw and making sure that you have guys on them because if you remember back against Seton Hall back in that same year, I'm throwing a lot of 2018 references in here, but that was one thing where I think Tech kind of struggled with with um, defending, defending Angel Delgado, who's different in a lot of ways than Watson, but kind of gives you the same sort of issue of being the dynamic post big that's very patient and can kind of create his own shot and can handle defensive pressure. One of the issues they had in that game was defending against Kadeem Carrington, the guard for Seton Hall, who I think is has a similar play style to what Al Durham has. And I think just someone that can play both on and off the ball and can thrive in a variety of different roles that can both set set an emotion like a pick and roll offense and also catch shots off the screen and spot up from three. Someone with that much versatility, you're gonna have to make sure to pay attention to. And I think he's experienced enough playing these big games as kind of a side piece guard to really understand that role and find ways to get open against Tech's defense. Yeah, you're just full of full of good trivia today. Um, I I was gonna give you a trivia question. I literally forgot. It it was that Nora Noah Horchler is a uh, former Norda North Florida Osprey. I, I did not know that until I started uh 
digging into the numbers, but man, the Ospreys just just can't get away from from the fake birds. But I think the thing with Durham, I think it's just, it's such an interesting matchup because you've got to have a guy on him who's disciplined, um, a guy that's not going to be like hedging off of him. And I'm even like, I'm even hesitant to be like put Kevin McCuller on him because McCuller off ball this year has been very greedy. Um, not necessarily always to a fault. But he, it just feels like he's playing daring basketball this year. And I, I don't think you want to do that against Durham because even with the shooting slump, he still feels like a guy that, man, just any night, it, it can be his. So you got to be careful with him. I think the thing that's interesting with Wilson is kind of what happens with size. Um, just knowing that Durham likes to go downhill a lot. Like, is he going to get Wilson into foul trouble? I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting matchup. I'm I'm really excited for this game. I'm really excited to figure out what I don't know about this Texas Tech team and really get a chance to see them match up against some really solid competition. So let's let's wrap this thing up with some predictions. I mean, I usually give you the team rank line. I'm going to give it to you today. Um, Texas Tech, actually a half-point underdog in this game, which I was not expecting. I don't think they opened the season like that. I think Providence's offense kind of shot up. Um, which helped them become the favorite in this game. But um, I'm not going to take Providence to win this game. I'm going to pick Texas Tech to win this game, but it is going to be close. I'm going to take Texas Tech in an offensive heavy game um, in a 72-68 to 68 victory. I think that um, Watson's going to have a big night. I think that's inevitable, but I do trust Mark Adams to get his team ready to adjust on the perimeter and to limit the other guys. And I really think that that, that starts with Durham. Um, I think you've got to find a way to at least slow down Watson. I think he'll probably have like 20 and four. Like he's going to have a crazy night, but um, you can't let him do what Drew Timmy did to Texas. Um, that That's just the easiest way to lose a game. Um, and I trust Mark Adams to game plan against that. But while he's getting his down low, you've just got to cover all the holes. Um, you've got to like flex seal it. And I think that that's what Mark Adams does. He he flex seals things. And so I'm excited to see him uh, flex seal Darren Sproles and, and walk out of Providence with a victory. I think that um, player of the game, I'm going to go Terrence Shannon. Um, I think that he just feels like a guy that's going to have a big night um, with, with Providence's foul troubles. I think Shannon kind of returning to that more aggressive form that we saw in the South Padre game where he was just like getting to the basket every single possession is going to be really interesting to see if he can get back to that a little bit. Because while I do think that his shot has progressed a lot and it looks better and he's going to need to make a couple of threes in this game, I just, I don't trust this team to not foul him on the way to the rim. And I think that if he can get even Watson into foul trouble, that'll be really big. Because um, the less the less time that Watson's on the floor, the better chance you're going to have at victory. But again, 72 to 68 win. Terrence Shannon, player of the game. Dunkin' Donuts Arena, going to be a a great matchup. I'm 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 really excited. I'm trying to do some quick math in my head, but as far as I'm concerned, and I did a little bit of research on this pre-pod, I do not think Tech has won against a old old school Big East team since the new Big East was formed. They lost against Butler in the tournament. They lost to Villanova in the tournament. They lost to Creighton and DePaul in the same season. 
they lost to Seton Hall in 2018. So I believe they're either 0-5 or 0-6 in such games. Another interesting tidbit is that Providence is coming off of a couple seasons where they haven't made the tournament, whether due to COVID or just straight up not being good enough. And that's a rarity under Ed Cooley. They, he had gotten them to be a perennial first weekend team, basically, running right around the edge of the bubble, usually on the good side. So it's kind of, this has been maybe a little bit of a resurgence for Providence this year. This looks on paper to be one of their best teams in a while. I mean, certainly bringing in Durham as a transfer, MNI as well, and having Nate Watson back for what felt like his 10th year. Like, those guys are all going to play major pieces, or play major role, excuse me, in their success this year. And it does not surprise me that Tech is a half-point underdog, because I think if you look at this team, and you look at the fact that they won against Wisconsin and won against Northwestern, and even against Virginia, I mean, like you mentioned, it was a pretty close game. And Virginia hasn't been great this year, but there's still no slouch, and their defense can cause issues for anybody. So you throw all of that together, and I think Providence is a team that's going to have a lot of motivation coming in, into this game because a win against Tech, and they've already got three top-quality wins within the first month of the season. And for Tech, it's going to be important to start off on the right foot. And I think the past struggles against Big East teams, as coincidental as that might seem, is a little bit eerie um, because this isn't the first time that Tech's come into a game untested facing a Big East team start of December. And it hasn't gone well. So there's a little bit of caution there. But I think this team's different. Mark Adams is coach. These other teams didn't have prime TJ Shannon with Kevin O'Banner and Bryson Williams linking them. So I think I'm going to take Tech in this game. I'm going to go with a relatively low-scoring game. I think it's going to be more along the lines of a 66 to a 62 type of game. Um, I just think there's going to be some inefficiencies in the half court. Both teams are going to have struggles facing unique matchups. For Providence, I think this is easily the best defensive team, or at least on the perimeter, the best perimeter defenders that they've had to go up against because even in Virginia or Wisconsin didn't have the depth on the perimeter that Tech had in terms of just every single guy. Like you could throw five or six guys that are elite on-ball defenders on Tech that would be a top two defender at either of those schools at least on the ball. So it's a unique matchup for Providence. I think they might struggle with it a little bit. And I think that that's just going to be just enough for Tech to pull away. Player of the game, player of the game you mentioned my guy. I was going to go with TJ Shannon. So I'll go with Davion Warren in this one. I think his, I think he's going to get put on Al Durham quite a lot defensively. And you're going to see a game where he gets a couple of steals. I think offensively, this is the game where you can really see his versatility and roles come into play. I mean, you can see him have some good catch-and-shoot moments and also be someone that you can depend on to go get buckets. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still someone that scored 20, above 20 points per game last year and has that natural scoring ability. And I think against a team like Providence that struggles a little bit, I would say, in pick-and-roll defense, obviously has the communication issues we talked about, um, you can put Watson and Horsford on the perimeter and kind of make them get put in uncomfortable situations. I think Warren's the type of guy that is going to be able to take advantage of that. And I'm not sure if he's going to have an offensive output like TJ did, but if you combine the defensive ability, I think it's going to put him over the top and make him the player of the game. 
I like it. I like the pick, and I think really player of the game here for Texas Tech, at least offensively, is a guy who can get the ball into the into the paint um, and just force their defense to collapse. They're going to do that to you, and you're going to have to do that to them because I think your defense is better suited to handle it than theirs is. Um, they've just struggled with fouling you, and if they send you to the line, I think that's going to be a big thing too here is that Texas Tech needs to make their free throws in this game. Like, we talk about it all the time, and that free throws need to be made in every game, but especially in this one, you're going to get fouled a lot, and you need to take advantage of those opportunities. But I think like a guy like Shannon, a guy like Warren, um, those are two guys that we've seen consistently get to the basket but also have um, been able to shoot it. So in case the defense starts sagging off to try and protect the, the interior, let it fly, make a shot. Um, Kevin McCuller even um, – He's going to play, in case anybody's wondering. He's going to play. He probably could have played Saturday, honestly, but um, I, it was just a rest issue. But I think um, if he kind of returns to that form that we saw earlier in the season where he's being aggressive and getting to the basket as easy as we've seen, that's going to be another guy that can that can cause issues. But I'm excited, man. That This team is good. This team is, is competitive. I think they're a tournament team. Um, picked seventh. In, in the preseason Big East poll this year, which is crazy because um, this team just looks really good um, to start off the year. But a lot of people chalking this up as a automatic tech win, and I, I'll tell you what, this is this is going to be a game. I, I would be very surprised if this is not a game. If we are if we are with like six minutes to go and this game is not one, two, three possessions, I would be very, very surprised. Expect a competitive matchup um, for the, from the wonderful state of Rhode Island where there is nothing to do but apparently go to Dunkin' Donuts Arena on a lovely Wednesday night. But first nationally televised game of the season for Texas Tech, so hope everyone's excited to uh, hopefully never have to deal with a uh, South Padre Island broadcast again. But, man, Providence, good team. I got a four-point victory. Emory's got a four-point victory. Bart Torvik has a half-point loss which obviously doesn't make sense no vegas lines yet because we're recording on monday night games on wednesday but should be a close one i'm excited um we'll deliver a recap after that game i think i don't know we'll see what happens emory's nodding his head yes one of us will do a quick recap on that game but um yeah we'll, we'll break down that game and then we'll be back before texas tech goes to the garden stays on the east coast and goes and plays a competitive tennessee team so a lot of good basketball to be played over the next few weeks. Only six games in the month of December, so um, I'm going to enjoy some downtime. Emory's going to enjoy some downtime, and I hope you enjoy the six Texas Tech basketball games that you get to watch. But, Emory, any parting words before the people head out and go watch Darren Sproles play for the Providence Friars? I think I prefer Tyler Ulitz playing for the Providence Friars personally. However... Six tech basketball games this month, including against Providence, against Tennessee, and against Gonzaga. I mean, if you're not excited for those games, then I don't know what you're watching because you're going to see a tech basketball team that is going to be fun to watch, even if it doesn't end up and wins every time, or even if they struggle somewhat. It's still going to be interesting to watch and just see how this team evolves. So I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we don't have any more uh, broadcast experiences like South Padre Island. Hopefully Tim Brando isn't calling this one. Given this on, on FS1, I'm a little bit nervous, but we'll see. But anyways, 
I mean, just being able to finally have a good good competitor to go against, a good team in Providence, and just getting into the meat of type schedule, it's fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we come back and record a recap that is after a victory and not having to talk about the first loss of the season. Yeah, hopefully it's a win, but only time will tell. Um, thank you for listening. If you could leave us a review wherever you listen, it would be a great help, especially now. Some very exciting news on the horizon for the podcast coming soon, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, give us a share, leave us a review, show us some love on Twitter. We love hearing from you, and we love um, incorporating all of the feedback that we can get. So thank you again for listening, and we will be back, hopefully, with a happy recap.